We welcome you once again here to Calvary Church, our celebration worship service, and thank you choir and orchestra and uh, key leaders for our worship. To enter into the uh, reality that Christ is the victor, we certainly celebrate that and uh, honor His name. We want to focus this morning on the fact that Jesus Christ is walking down the road with us and He wants to have a relationship with us. And so we're going to dive into those details. And one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to understand who Christ is, even as we sang that song, it's a powerful song about being the victory, the victor over these things of this world. I'm still struck with the reality of the headlines that we continue to watch and read that takes place this last week. And uh, I was taken by a tweet that came from John Stamos. How many of you know John Stamos? Remember, well, I remember when I was a little, when our girls were little kids, not I, when our girls were little kids, every Friday night we're watching Full House. I mean, it was on our calendar. And so there's John Stamos. So when I saw his name on a tweet that I got this last week, I was quite taken by it. He wrote on his tweet, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, in response to the horrid, tragic thing that happened in Brussels. And I love this little button that he put on his tweet where it says, we want to reset the world. And that caught my attention because every so often when things like that happen, we suddenly have this new desire to reset the world. Even as we sing about Christ as the victor, we still live in a world where it looks like sometimes He's not. And it may be that for some of us here this morning, it feels like although we can sing those words in the reality of your life, like many people in Brussels, that's not what it feels like to you. So I want to explore that a little bit and some of the tension that Christ has for us because Jesus really seeks to walk with us. I want to read from a text. We use the Bible here to allow us to have something significant to say. Otherwise, I'd have nothing to say up here if it wasn't for the book. And in Luke chapter 24, we find this account where Christ has been resurrected. He is alive and he is now wandering and he comes along a couple of guys who are leaving Jerusalem. And it's in Luke chapter 24, verse 13, that we read these words. And behold, two of them, two of the disciples, followers of Jesus, good people, honorable people. They would be here this morning if they were the kind of people that live today. And so they're going this very day to a village named Emmaus. This was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had taken place. And we're talking about just the last day, last 24, 48 hours of the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But, as Luke records, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So here's two guys walking, and a third guy, a stranger, walks up to them. It's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, but they don't know that it's him. And he said to them, Jesus did, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, his name was Cleopas. He answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. 
But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. He's going to set us free from the Roman rule. He is the Messiah. He is the King. We thought that's who He was. But indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some of the women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb in the early morning, they did not find His body, Jesus' body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that it was He who was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it exactly as the women had said. But they did not see Him. And He said to them, O foolish men of heart, slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in Scripture. And Jesus continued to walk with these two men. As He was about to leave, they said, No, stay. It's the evening. Why don't you stay and dine with us? So Jesus came into their home and He ate with them. He had a meal with them. And then suddenly He revealed who He was and then Jesus disappeared. Now, I love this story because the contrast. If you think about the birth, when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the fact that a bunch of angelic chorus, choruses are, are saying the praise of God. It is a majestic big show. When we come to the resurrection, it's sort of a scaled-down version of just Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus for a seven-mile seven mile, you know, walk as a couple of guys are just sort of chatting and he really doesn't make himself known to them. And the thing that I observe about these two men is not just another story of a couple of guys. I find myself identifying with these two men. And there are three ways that I see that and maybe some of you will identify with them as well. Let me show you. There is a time in our lives when we sometimes lack direction. What I've observed about these men is that they are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven-mile jaunt. They're leaving Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the religious hub. If God's going to do something, it's going to be in Jerusalem. That's where the trial, the crucifixion occurred. That's where the burial occurred of their Savior, Jesus Christ. The Messiah they thought would be the king. That's where the hub of activity was. They're leaving that. And sort of the bigger picture is this. There are some times when even I am prone to want to wander from what God has for me. You may know someone who is purposefully trying to leave God behind. You're journeying from Him, not to Him. You're oblivious to all that He is trying to do. The thing that I love about this story is that even as these two men were leaving Jerusalem, giving up, giving up, Jesus still sought them. Jesus still seeks those that want to leave him behind. I love that. I love that image of Christ coming alongside a couple of guys that had already self-concluded this guy was a failure, Jesus. He didn't live up to the hype. Second thing that I noticed about these guys is this, and I identify with, frankly, is that sometimes we experience discouragement in life where things don't turn out the way we had hoped for. Notice the text. It says, and he said to them, Jesus says to them, what are these things that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. 
Jesus is asking, what are these words that you're talking about? What are these things that have happened? That's kind of like walking down New York City roads right after 9-11. And people are sort of gloomy. They're down. They're depressed. They're discouraged. And if you walked up to any of the New Yorkers, in fact, anywhere in America in the, after 9-11, and you say, why are you so down? They say, didn't you hear about what happened on 9-11? Well, that's their 9-11. These are the followers of Jesus. They had bought in. They saw the miracles. They saw Lazarus raised from the grave. They saw people who were blind being able to see again. They saw tremendous teaching that happened in Christ. And Jesus says, what's going on? Sometimes, and let me just throw this out, and I say this respectfully to God, that God, sometimes I get the feeling that you, God, Jesus, you don't get it. That's the feeling here. That's sort of the bigger picture. It's not just a couple of guys who are depressed. It's the fact is that there are times in life when it looks like circumstances aren't going my way and there are disappointments in life. I thought I would have a child and I don't. I thought I would have a spouse, but I don't. I thought I would get into the school, but I didn't. I thought I would get the promotion, but it didn't come my way. I thought I would be healed of cancer, but it didn't occur. I thought my wife would live, but she was never healed by God. I thought that accident would never occur, but it did. And there are these disappointments where we feel like God doesn't get it. And he asks, so what's going on? How's life? And we say, don't you know what just happened? There are those times in life when discouragement comes because what we had hoped for did not occur, and it seems as though God doesn't care. That's tough. That's where these guys are. That's where sometimes we are. Maybe you're there right now. I know I have lived in those moments as well. And then thirdly, it's where we're disillusioned with life and our future. All these things sort of snowball on these guys. They're leaving Jerusalem. They've given up on God. They're discouraged because now this man comes alongside and doesn't seem to have a clue as to the devastation of their lives, seems to be unsympathetic for the needs that they are experiencing, and then they become disillusioned. I love this where Luke records these words in verse 16. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. I don't fully understand why Jesus did that. Why does God come alongside and make himself invisible to us? Why does Jesus allow circumstances to swirl around us and it looks like he's absent? So much of the Psalms is God. I'm living in darkness. I'm living in this gloom. I'm calling upon you, Lord, where are you? There are many times throughout Scripture where we see that, that God seems invisible and absent from us. And Jesus is portraying that here. He says, I don't want you guys to be able to see who I am. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm the resurrected from the dead Jesus, I want to I shout, I'm alive! That's not Jesus. Jesus conceals us. He plays it down low. He, can, he keeps it a secret. Manny, how do you hold in the fact that you've been brought back to life after being crucified and hung on the cross for six hours? How do you hold that in? Jesus holds it in. And there are times when you and I are traveling down whatever road we're on, and God's coming across invisible, absent, seemingly uncaring, and 
maybe as if he doesn't get my problems. What are these things that are going on? He just doesn't get it. That's a certain reality. Then it goes on. It says in verses 21 on, but we were hoping, I love that concept, we were hoping, this is what we had hoped for. We had followed him, we had watched him, we would listened to him, we identified with him, we saw the miracles from him, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, set us free from Roman rule, conquer the world around us, and indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. Did they have some sort of premonition that maybe on the third day we would see him again? I don't know, or it happened to be three days later. But also some of the women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb and early in the morning did not find his body and they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels and said that he was alive. There's two reasons why sometimes I get disillusioned and they are there on the screen. Number one, when it seems like God is absent and I really need him to show up. That's really frustrating when you think that God, if I ever need you now, it's now. And it seems as though he's just sort of distant. Those are frustrating times. You get a little disillusioned with life. The second reason sometimes I get disillusioned is what I've observed in this text. These men are walking down the road. A guy's walking with them that doesn't seem to understand sort of the headlines of just what occurred. And they refer to a group of women. And in those days, the cultural values of women were very, very on the down low. But these women went to the grave and they saw the angels and they heard the story that he's alive. And this is where I kind of plays games with, with my mind where sometimes I look at other people like these women I think they, they're getting all the goods on this and I feel like I'm being deprived. When I start comparing myself, pastors compare themselves to other churches, to other pastors, to other bloggers, to other writers. You know, that's when we start getting down because there's always someone doing it better. And maybe you feel that way in your pl place of business with your friendships, the state of your marriage, your parenting skills, and you look at others and they seem to have it together and I feel like I'm alone in this thing. That, I think, is a little bit of the story. These men are walking on the road. They're hearing about the angels with the women, but they're getting nothing. But what they didn't know is that he is everything, and he's right there, and they just couldn't see it. God sometimes plays out this storyline in mysterious ways, and it makes no sense. Now, from the sublime, let me take you to the ridiculous. I saw a blog two weeks ago on the top ten roads in America to ride a motorcycle. I fearfully and trembly say I ride a motorcycle. And I get a lot of reactions from anywhere from the negative to the positive. I get it. Don't need to hear from you about that. But let me, just, uh, let me just say this. When I saw that blog, it's intriguing because if you're a motorcyclist or you know someone, you're intrigued by what roads they chose. On the screen, I show you the road of 243. That's the road that kicks off the Highway 10 takes you up to Idlewild, down 74, the backside. You also see on that highway road, Interstate 10. Why is 243 the best motorcycle road in America? Because as you look at it, it's got all kinds of twists 
and turns and elevation changes. And when you're riding a motorcycle, you love those twists. You, you lean the bike over and you go through the corner. You don't know what's around the corner and your adrenaline starts going. Your heart starts beating. You hope there's no sand on the road. You hope there's no car coming the other direction. I mean, you're living life to the fullest at that point. It's exciting. It's very exciting. And I know you're saying you're an idiot, Dave. But, <laughs> but as you go around that, you're thinking, man, I've got to stay alert. I've got to stay alive. You have an element of fear that's sort of... You should always ride with an element of fear in a motorcycle. But you never know what's around each corner. And there's a sense of anticipation and a sense of apprehension at the same time. And there's a sense of faith that God is with me. And there's a sense of worry that He's not going to show up when I need Him the most. I mean, you, you balance all. And there's this life. There's this life that you're living out. It's exciting. Even if it's a little fearful and a little faithful. Now, most people don't want to live life that way. Most of us want to be on Interstate 10. See Interstate 10? Straight, boring shot. I want to see way down the road. I want to know everything that's coming my way. I don't want any surprises. I don't want any twists. I don't want any turns. I don't want to have to even have to trust. I just want to be in charge. And so we go down Interstate 10, one of the worst roads you can ride a motorcycle on. From Indio to Blythe is a godforsaken nuclear bomb had gone off there. You just can't believe that anybody would live there. What a terrible road because it's just straight as could be. And so you go back to 243 and said, now that's how to live life. The road to Emmaus, the road for most of the disciples, was like 243 with twists and turns and lack of understanding, doesn't make any sense. I've got to walk by faith. I can't see around the bend. And most of us want a straight shot. God, make it easy. Make it straight. You may be living on 243 if I allow the metaphor to grow. Your life may feel like 243, where you don't know what's around the next corner. Health, job, finances, relationships. You just don't know what's around that corner. And God, you want a straight shot. You want to make it easy. You want to know where you're going. You want to be in charge. Well, sometimes God puts us on 243 so we learn what it means to trust Him for what I cannot see. So He allows the twisties, as they say it in the motorcycle world, He allows the twisties to keep us trusting Him. I want you to hear one story of a young man who had lived on a lot of twisted roads, and God got a hold of his heart. I want you to hear part of his story. Here's John. Take a look at the screens. April 1st, 2005. I woke up in an abandoned house. Even though it was dark in the room, um, you can see the sun rays peeking through the blinds. And I had a little glimmer of hope. I said I was going to try to get clean one last time. I was an intravenous drug user and I lived on the streets. I stepped out of that abandoned house never to return again. And I remember walking down the street and I ran into a stranger and asked him for 50 cents. I immediately took the money and put it in a payphone. I called for somebody for help. He consented to pick me up under the condition that he would take me to a sober living house. And I said, well, that's why I'm calling you. I need help. I remember I couldn't lift my eyes off the ground when I was walking down the street because I was so filled with shame. 
I was bankrupt in every way, relationally, financially, emotionally, spiritually. I remember burning all my bridges with friends and family, so much so that uh, I called my mother a few days prior and asked her for a blanket. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't. She hung up the phone. So the last person in the world I would think would give up on me gave up on me. I remembered that um, I owed four months in jail, the cops were looking for me. Uh, I owed thousands of dollars to my drug dealer and he hired somebody to kill me. What I wore that day walking down that street was what I owned. I was also very sick. I weighed about 115 pounds. I weigh 185 now. I realized that if I were any lower, it'd be six feet underground. So for the first time in my life, I cried out to God. I said, God, if you're real, please help me. And for somebody who didn't believe in God and somebody who didn't follow him or know him or didn't grow up in a Christian home, God showed up in my life that day. I mustered up enough courage after a few weeks of being in a sober living house to turn myself into jail. Immediately when I was in jail, I was surrounded uh, by two believers who came up to me and started sharing the gospel with me. And I said to one of them, uh, wait a minute, what are you doing in here? And he said, uh, I had a parking ticket and I forgot to pay it, so the cops had to lock me up for it. I look back at that now and I realize that, you know, he was there for me. I didn't accept Jesus right at that moment, but I began to get very curious in who he was. And so I picked up a Bible in there and I started reading from page one. I read through Genesis and I hit Exodus and then I hit Leviticus and then I started to struggle. Uh, so uh, a man in there, he uh, said, well, you know, uh, don't worry. Once you come to chapel with me, maybe it'll make more sense to you. So I said, okay. And we showed up to chapel and I sat in the back and I listened very intently to the message. And I started to understand who Jesus is and that he died on the cross for my sins, was buried and raised on the third day. And that those who believe in him have eternal life. And not only did I know that, but I believed it. That's John traveling. John's, he's a member here. I want you to meet him in just a moment. But that's the beginning point sometimes where God takes us on those twists and turns and we're not quite sure what he's up to. We may feel like we're leaving him. He's hot on our tail following us, catching up, walking alongside. Can't see him like the disciples, the Emmaus men. Can't see him, don't understand him very discouraged, disillusioned, but Jesus is seeking us out in the midst of that. His followers return to Jerusalem. They gather together after knowing that Christ was alive because they dined with him, those two guys. They then gathered together with all the disciples. They went back to Jerusalem, and there are three things that happen that transform their lives, and that's the offer. When we feel directionless, when we're sad and depressed or discouraged, when it looks like life is a great big disappointment for us, and we're on these twisting roads and we're not sure what's around the next bend, this is what God offers to us. First of all, we noticed as the disciples gathered together, they returned, they had a reunion, they reunited, life became better together because Jesus is about to show up in a big way. They look to Christ and they began to examine him. Jesus shows up with these, all these men. They gather together in the room 
And it says, and while they were telling these things, the things the road to Emmaus guys were telling them about eating with Jesus and revealed himself, Jesus himself stood in their midst and he said to them, peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a ghost, a spirit. I would think that, just unimaginable. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me. See. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus is never threatened by our doubts. Jesus is never threatened by the questions where we are not sure he gets it. We're not sure he's here. We're questioning whether he is truly present. Jesus is never threatened by that. He invites us to look into him, to check him out, to do your homework, to research who he is. You know, I've been to two seminaries over the course of my life, got two different degrees from two different seminaries. And I didn't do all that work because I just didn't have anything better to do. I wanted to understand. And so as Jesus says, I want you to look into it. Check me out. And I didn't spend the last 40 years of my life doing what I'm doing now because I'm not solidly convinced that the living Savior wants to come and enter into my life for me to learn and look to him for hope. This is a reality. And that there are many of us in this room who have lived our lives for that because we've seen evidence of his life. That's why we're offering what we call the Alpha Course. As you heard earlier, in a week and a half on a Wednesday night, the Alpha Course is an invitation for anybody who has doubts, for anybody who has questions. We invite you to come and look into Christ, his claims, his reality. Let that be a basis of the start of your journey, much as John began his journey learning who Jesus is. Somebody came alongside him and pointed out who he is. Second thing I noticed about this is they gathered together. They began to learn about Christ. They began to learn his truth. It's interesting to me that at Easter time in Jesus' world when he lived in those days, there was no big spectacular show. In churches, we put on spectacular shows. There's dances, there's orchestras, there's choirs. We, we love that. But in Jesus' day, it was very simple. It was very acoustical. It was very toned down. And all he wanted to do was to tell them the truth. And here's what he told them. Now he said to them, These are my words. Listen to what I say, Jesus said which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the entire Old Testament. Three parts, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, the poetic books. Everything in the Old Testament was about me, Jesus is telling them. And he begins to fill them in as to where he is in the Old Testament. And then he opened their minds, and that's what we need, to have our minds open to understand the Scriptures. That's why we teach God's Word here, to allow us to understand who God is, what he wants for us. And then he said to them, thus it is written. And here's the core. Here's the core message of why Jesus came. That the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. He says, that's the core thing. I've got a friend that uh, I will ride with on my bicycle. And I've referenced him in the past and we'll call him Bob. 
Bob and I will ride together, and often we've had these conversations about eternal and spiritual things. And Bob doesn't know Jesus the way a lot of us know Jesus. Bob knows Jesus because of his uh, catechism that he grew up with, and he didn't really trust the leaders of the church that he was part of. So I try to convince Bob. And he's had some health issues, and he's in a lot of pain. And Bob even said, you know, if I were to die right now, I wouldn't mind because I'm tired of all the pain, tired of all the pain. So that brought up a good open door. I said, well, Bob, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? He says, I think I'd go to heaven. Oh, that's a good thing. Why do you think you'd go to heaven, Bob? And Bob said this, because I'm a nice guy. Nice people go to heaven. I thought, well, that's nice, <laughs> Bob. Um, do you believe in Jesus? Well, you know, there's lots of points of view on that. And I thought to myself, Bob, if nice people go to heaven, I bet 99% of us here are pretty nice, except for occasionally when you're sitting at the stoplight and somebody's texting on their phone and it turns green and they don't go and you lay on your horn. You know, other than those moments, we're all pretty nice. We're pretty nice. But if niceness is all that is required to get into heaven, Jesus didn't have to suffer on the cross for six hours. He didn't have to suffer as the Messiah. He didn't have to die a gruesome and horrible and bloody death. He doesn't do that for nice people. He does it for sinful people, and we're all sinners. The core message is for the repentance of the forgiveness of sins. That's what he says. So I said, Bob, and I've heard this question. I love this question. Bob, if what you believe is not true, wouldn't you want to know? If what you believe, Bob, is tr not true, wouldn't you want to know? Well, yeah, I guess I would. I said, well, Bob, I've got some stuff I'd like to give to you to read and go over. Yeah, yeah, I've got some trips to take and I'll get, yeah, when I get back I'll let you know. And so that's where it stands. That's the update. And I want us to not put off the reality that when Christ came, he came for the forgiveness of sinful, nice people, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Because we've all fallen short of the holiness that is required to get into heaven, and only God can give us his holiness through the forgiveness of our sins as we confess them to Christ. And then he gives us a new life. He transforms us. That's why he died. He didn't die for us so we could have a better home. He may give you a better home. He didn't die for us so we can get a better job. He may give you a better job, but he didn't die for that. He didn't die so you can be healed of every disease that ever happens, although that may happen. It doesn't always. Jesus died for one reason. We've got sins, and they separate us from God, and there's no way I'm going to heaven unless I receive that gift of his forgiveness, that his death on that cross was the price to be paid. And he wants to finish the task. As he said to the disciples, so he led them. And he led them after giving them that message out as far as Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, this tremendous miracle of watching Jesus raised and ascended into heaven. And after they were worshiping him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. What a transformation. 
no longer disillusioned, no longer discouraged, no longer directionless. God literally gave them new life. He blessed them. Let me show you the last of John's story of how when he turned to Christ, learned more about Christ, Christ has blessed him. Take a look at John again. So the pastor asked a very interesting question at the end of his sermon that I hope I never forget. He didn't say, does anyone want to become a Christian or does anyone want to change their life? Does anyone want to get off drugs or even get out of prison someday? All those things applied to me. He didn't ask that. What he asked was, does anyone want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ today? And that struck my heart. Why? Because not even my own mother wanted a relationship with me, but I knew Jesus did. And I had to think very hard about it because I knew it wasn't a decision I was going to make today and forget about tomorrow. But it meant giving my life over to the care of God and letting Him manage it for me. It meant cultivating a relationship with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, it meant walking with Him and living with Him and talking with Him. And after I made that decision, um, I stood up and gave my life to the Lord. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And He meant that. Life is in Jesus. I'm really grateful that of what's ahead. I know that my life is just beginning. Uh, but the thing that I have to keep bringing myself back to is life is in Jesus Christ. My relationship with Him is paramount in comparison to anything else. The, my main focus should always be and always will be, hopefully, is relationship with the Lord. A Bible verse that comes to my mind, um, um, seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Uh, and even knowing that context is talking about money, but I think it's really just talking about all your provisions in life. You can apply it to that at least. And since I've been following the Lord and just really trying to focus on my relationship with Him, He's radically transformed me. He's transformed my heart. He's transformed my relationships with my family, uh, with people, and uh, He's blessed me with a wife. And it says, he who finds a wife finds a blessing from the Lord. And he's blessed me tremendously. And matter of fact, you know, I have a little bit of money in my bank account, believe it or not, today. And uh, he's given me purpose in life, uh, something that's satisfying. Um, something, uh, when I was a new believer, that I asked myself the question, what would I think about when I was on my deathbed? And I knew I wouldn't think about what cars I've owned, how much money I had in my bank account or what degrees I got, well, all those things are okay. The things that I really would have thought about was what my relationship with the Lord looked like, what my relationship with my family looked like, and how I helped people. Those are the things I would really cherish and value. And so those are the things that I seek today. And those are the things that the Lord has blessed me with. That's the core right there, yeah. Isn't that great? John is sitting somewhere. Where are you, John? Ugh, there you are. Stand up. There's John. I want you to see he's, he's real. <laughs> and he's sitting with his fiance. He said he's got a wife. He's got a fiance, a wife-to-be. And uh, I just want to let you know that if you give your life to Christ, it doesn't guarantee you'll get a wife. But uh, sometimes he does that as well. I'd like to invite you, if you've never made a decision to believe in Jesus, pure and simple, Christ came to forgive you. You may think nice people get into heaven, and that's not what Jesus said. When Jesus was finally finishing up his task on earth, he says, I've come to die for the repentance of your and the forgiveness of your sins. 
If you would like to receive that forgiveness, as John found that, out of drugs and jail and been transformed and blessed, blessed on the things that really count with God, I'd like to invite you into that relationship because Jesus is here whether you see him or not, as he was with these men. And I'd like for him to enter into your life. I'm merely a vessel of communication, and I offer this to whoever of you would like to believe in him. So would you pray with me? God Almighty, as we are before you now, and we are reminded that Christ came in this world, died, buried, rose the third day, and sometimes we see him and sometimes we wonder where he is, but God, you are always with us. You've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And Father, I'd like to invite any who are here that need you that they would discover you and know that you have been seeking them all the while and that maybe this is the day they choose to believe and ask for your forgiveness to be transformed in their hearts and lives. So if you'd like to do that, you could pray a prayer like this. God in heaven, I need you. I choose to believe in you today that you are the way to new life, that you died for my sins, and I ask for your forgiveness. Enter into my life and give me your purpose, your design. Help me. Help me to walk with you. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we'd like to invite you to respond. We're going to invite you to do something a little bit different than what we would normally do on a Sunday. But as you see in front of me is a cross. You can't see it very well unless you're on the sides. But on either side, there are nails. As Christ died with the nails on the cross, so we have nails on this cross. And, those cross, and this cross is formed by this string that has been strung together. And to create this beautiful cross... And to fill in the gaps that are remaining, I'm going to invite you to come up here. We have a box here. We have a box on the same side over there. And to come up here, and what we're asking you to do is to simply say, Lord, I choose to show that I am connected and identify with Christ and His cross. And that I believe life is better when we do it together. And so as we string together, as we come across here and pick up our string, and we come to the nails that are on the cross we begin to identify, yes, Lord, I identify with you. I believe in Jesus. I connect with Christ. I connect with one another. And as we fill in the gaps here, we begin to show the thread of how our interconnectedness is all around the cross of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite you to stand up. We're going to sing and worship together. You've got about 10 or 12 minutes to do this. You don't have to stand in line. You feel you're ready to come on up here, grab the string, then come on stringing on the cross and say, yes, Lord, I identify with you. Let's stand and worship while we do this together.